I was on Instagram one day and I saw an account called Ralton Fighter. And I thought it had something to do with Richard Prince at first because the name was kind of a reversal on Fulton Rider, which was Richard Prince's project. And then I looked closer at Ralton Fighter and realized that it was actually a digital artist and an NFT collector and a major NFT collector and a very interesting artist and digital works and physical works works for um, NFTs an NFT collection all of this kind of wrapped in a mystery because um, Ralton Fighter has no identity um, we know that he or she is a farmer in Montana and that's about all I know and is uh, an artist and an NFT collector and very knowledgeable as you're going to find out about um, the NFT world and the art world in general and we had a conversation where we clarified some issues about the NFT world versus the uh, the art world as we know it. I'm not going to put too many labels on things. The conversation took place with Ralton Fider on a voice concealing device to conceal Ralton's identity. So it's not the actual voice of the person. It's it's on a kind of like an, an, a voice concealing device. My voice, you can hear as normal. So enjoy the following conversation. I think it's fairly historic conversation. This is the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. So we have a special guest. Um, how, how do you say your name exactly? Ralton, Ralton Fighter. Ralton Fighter. And um, are you concealing your identity because that's part of your, uh, part of an artist uh, manifesto? Yes, that's a part of artist manifesto and also a part of just keeping my identity safe. Right. Because my art is on the IT side of things. Right. Um, when I first saw you on Instagram, I almost got you confused with the Richard Prince project called Fulton Rider. And then I realized it was a different thing. But I think that's part of your uh, manifesto is, is to kind of mirror other artists. Yes, mirror is one aspect. But mostly I'm thinking, I'm operating in a sense that's about familiarity and how to utilize the sense of familiarity and create something completely new. Mm. And Richard Prince is, uh, as we know, is quite an intriguing artist. Mm-hmm. So for me, I admire the way how he does the Fulton Rider, which, you know, a separate independent book publisher and can take on some artist projects, some book releases that may be seemed 
edgy that may make the primary gallery feel a little bit uncomfortable to be affiliated with. Mm-hmm. And that's something for me, I'm also an artist that's been working for a while. It's also something I want to explore while not pissing off my primary galleries. So I think I took a lot of inspiration from Prince. Mm-hmm. This is my approach to it. Who is your primary gallerist? That, that for me, Montana, probably somewhere Montana Street Front Gallery. I see. I would say, but, but yeah, for me, life is about nature as well as artists like my hobby, but I think I've done this hobby through a way that's observing kind of like how to make this hobby relevant. Right. I consider myself first and foremost someone who always loves anything that's present, anything Mm -hmm. that's contemporary, anything that I look back 100 to 200 years later, I can think I did something that documented what happened around me, right. around our society, because that's one key element of contemporary I try to aim for. And glad I have my real life primary gallery support as well mm-hmm. as my current, this shadow identities primary gallery support. Right. Um, Okay, well, I won't ask you too many questions about your identity or any of this secretive stuff because I don't want to press you in that direction. But um, (laughs) the the NFT world, was that something that was part of what you were doing from the beginning or was that something that kind of was added to your practice as you went along? For this shadow identity, I think it's built upon the NFT. But for me personally, I only learned about NFT at the beginning of 2021. Because like many in the art world, initially, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to make a business. Because as we all see the quality of art. Yeah. And then later, it just hit me. There's something more to it. There's something such as the aspect of artist royalty, as well as allowing people from all over the world and artists to be able to share their works simultaneously. Then I realized, okay, maybe there's something that can be done here as a contemporary artist to document this societal shift. So you jumped in on that and and started. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I noticed about your work is that it's very clean, almost like graphic design at times. And it's, yeah, and it's very um, uh, remarkably sort of reminiscent of a bunch of different artists without actually embodying one artist in particular, which I kind of yeah, like. And a funny thing is that the work I did, I can, it, I have an upcoming catalog of all the work, the source images in my link, which mm-hmm. is all publicly available. That's mm-hmm. all royalty free. And I think 
it's a part why I embark on this identity of artist. I, I have this thing in mind that how can I best document what I'm seeing in both the NFT world and this social media field, kind of like digital world where we have a lot of sampling, sharing, resharing of content. How can I, in this realm, using my art to document some of it? And immediately, I, I think of an angle that is, there are a lot of these great artists work that in contemporary art world, in the world we live and breathe in, we know Bruce Nauman, we know all these names, like it's back of our hand. Mm -hmm. But in the greater world out there, kind of the wild, both the NFT world or the public's perspective, they have no idea. Mm -hmm. They probably only see one work of Kruger or mm -hmm. one work from Rouchet and but that's mostly it. They they don't have a comprehensive understanding of mm -hmm. there are a lot of art behind out there. Mm -hmm. So through the way how I work, I want to evoke the familiar feeling from the contemporary art world while going in into the NFT art world, but not exactly appropriating other people's work. Like I'm not directly copying an image, but I'm kind of thinking in their, I try to place myself in each artist's way of thinking, their methodology, how they document this era through their specific visual language or conceptual language. And that's why, well, for me, when I begin to approach a work, I don't think of a work first. I think of an issue I try to cover, kind of like a phenomenon I try to document. Like, mm. and then I approach it, I think about the phen phenomenon, then I think about which past artist or present artist is best suited for talking about the situation. Mm. Then I, I begin to think, what would Kruger do in this? What would Shay do in this? And what would Christopher Wood do in this? Mm -hmm. And then I approach it as, it's almost a feeling that I consider it almost as a magical realism or, mm. you know, you kind of like, I, I first try to hallucinate, hallucinate myself without hallucinating. Right. That is because we, uh, to be honest, we live and breathe this artwork for past few decades and so many art books written, so many books read. We kind of, we know an artist, even though some of them I have personal relationship with, Mm -hmm. Some of the things I know from them are things they may know that much about themselves, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of these books about a certain artist that then themselves, when they talk about, talk about their work, they may not explain full right. time constraint or just something else. So this, I think, is a for me, not only an advantage, but for me, I view it as a responsibility because their work touch upon, their work kind of sealed a, a era of that time, the mm -hmm. 1980s, the 1990s. They touched upon key issues of feminism, the civil rights movement, and the, you know, the Western landscape, the Western lifestyle back then. But right mm -hmm. now, in the crucial time of 2020, where can we get that 
conceptual art. How can we make people pay attention and then dig deeper to think about the art's relationship with the issue as well as the phenomenon at hand? Mm -hmm. so, I get that. Every day you can see mm -hmm. quite high doing what I do. Yeah, I understand. No, I, I can see all that in your work. I was I wanted to talk about the NFT world a bit. Um, one of the ideas is. Um, uh, I, what I wanted to ask you is, um, let's say, okay, are you doing physical paintings or are you just doing digital facsimiles of paintings? I have both. I have a physical work studio that's uh -huh. right now in charge of producing physical paintings based on the NFT work I did. I so see. Shown in the Popo Gallery show because I can expand a little bit on this. Uh, my view of the NFT versus physical art. I think, uh, I believe in both coexist. And the good example I wanna give you is that to think of NFT, do not think of the technical layer of it, but think of it as an addition. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a digital addition, a digital version of maybe a Picasso ceramic or a Lichtenstein lithograph that's based on the original work. I see. They, you know, Picasso ceramics, you have some good ones that's addition of one, addition of five. Then you have these big additions like addition 500. Mm -hmm. So, but when people want to collector buy, there are different tiers of collector with different kind of taste as well as different kind of like spending power. So some will opt for the ceramic, some will go for the big, bigger painting. So I view a similar relationship between NFT and physical work that mm. NFTs are sort of like the digital addition to just like Mary mm. Goodman when she started out when she started out her gallery was focused on doing additions like mm. you know back in the day that was a like a mini Gemini back then so it's addition is a way to expand the artwork and then later more collector coming in they want something beyond addition or addition coexist with physical artwork they own. So mm -hmm. I view NFT as a digital addition into the artist practice. Let it be digital, digital artists or artists purely based in physical realm. Mm. So what I was wondering is, let's say you do an NFT, NFT T of, of a then there's the physical work, but is there a disconnect between the value of physical work and the value of the NFT? Yes, in my personal case, the NFT's work value are priced lower than the physical work. Because like I said, I view, in my practice, I view NFT as a digital addition. It's a part mm. to accompany my artistic approach, just like you know, an artist may release a lithograph for mm -hmm. edition 50, that's based on, a good example, I think to mention is Pat Roche. You know, Roche with his bliss bucket and the whole series, you know, you have a bliss bucket that's on canvas. And mm. then you have a bliss bucket that's on paper. And then you have an edition of 50 or 25 bliss bucket that's inject on paper or, art, or archival print on paper. So. I think that's how I would approach NFT. That mm -hmm. NFT's value, in my case, I view it, you know, market value wise, it's 
lower than the physical work because of mm -hmm. the time I may put in into a physical work with my studio. But artistically, I view any work I create, just like any work an artist creates, it's a way of expression. It's a, it's a me NFT is a medium I use. So in mm -hmm. next 10 years, there's something called ZFT coming out that's in a four dimensional space. I may do a ZFT. Hmm. Do you, is that gonna, is that coming out of ZFT? Is that something that's gonna happen? Hopefully, I think uh -huh. if you see the Elon Musk, the brain chip thing, that's quite scary. Right. And right. VR, I, I was following up with technology side of things. In VR, they're gonna have this kind of a sensory touchable glove for which you can feel an object that's thousand miles away. So there's, mm. I think our reality, I think if Foucault or they're alive, if those great philosophers, this kind of treachery of image right now, is not a treachery of image anymore. It's like this treachery of reality. It's like, what is real in our world? Like when we shop, when we do art, when I talk with you, like mm. is this a simulation or is this a real talk that's happening? So I think there's a lot of idea that's happening with this explosion of technology. So you're saying that you might be an AI computer generated voice that's uh, responding to my questions. Exactly. This is my point because I, through COVID, you know, for me, my real age is a little bit older. So mm -hmm. through COVID and then living through family, Kind of like mm -hmm. some of the family issues thing, my friend's family mm -hmm. suffering from COVID, as well as thinking about our society. A lot of things in, for me as an artist, I always try to place things into historical mm -hmm. perspective. Right. And a lot of things right now for me, I dig back into the great Spanish rules and a lot of other rules. There's just shockingly so many similarities of the right. anti-vaccine attitude, of the doubts, the paranoia, of the government's lack of response, or for better or worse, kind of overwhelmingly demand. So there's a lot of things that point to this reality. I may sound crazy, but there's a lot of things that point to this as if we're in this big simulation. And right now, it's just exacerbating because social media, if you think about it, everything just started going hyper speed since 2016 when there's mm -hmm. this discussion of fake news, of right. how the fake news gets started and it truly distorted reality. And even if today I, I suggest a fun experiment, you go down any of the politicians' Twitter and you see their comments and you open up each profile, you find, I think, 50 to 60% profile that's relatively new and with very follower account aside, but the account just looks as if it's come from straight out of a diner, like a kitchen package. So you have a lot of, we have a lot of this, I, I don't know what to say, but it's very much this engineer reality that exists mm. in Twitter and in the news media. So 
there's a lot of things that make me excited, but also in your way, mm -hmm. make me warm. Mm -hmm. And do you think the um, collector base is um, going to stick around for NFTs, or do you think the crypto collectors are going to shift to other things and art is just kind of a way of gentrifying the blockchain? Uh, I think a little bit of both. To understand this NFT collector base, I personally think for me who have sold art in the 80s and 90s, it's wise to look into the whole growth of global art market. I think if we look into the case of Skull, you know, he did that auction with a lot of the right. top artists work and stuff. Skull, the skulls. Yeah. If you're the, the, the call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you listen to their interview, they kind of come into this market with this attitude of I'm rich, I buy whatever I like, that attitude. And right. right now what we're seeing the NFT world, and even I believe if you you definitely have this feeling when you look at the current contemporary art on the auction side or the market side, you have this feeling that uh, personally, I do not know what to make of some artists who are selling such high prices so quickly. But then if you look, if you follow the money, I personally tell all my kids to follow the money. If you follow the mm -hmm. money, you realize this, this generation of collector is a little bit different. It's a generation that's built on this massive injection of capital, either from internet or from traditional business that went digital, went up scale. So, but for these collectors, a lot of them are new collectors. They do not know that much about our history. You ask them, I think there's an interview a couple of days earlier, even a known Warhol collector who has mm -hmm. no idea who Marcy Barney is, like a very right. big Warhol collector. So hmm. this is the kind of reality we're dealing with right now. It's this, this hmm. generation of collector, they may only like one to two artists, but hmm. they do not have this understanding of our, our history. And then they come in, they want to buy the things that can, I think Charles Saatchi also mentioned this in one of his articles, is that we have right now way more trophy hunting buyers at different levels. They're not only trophy hunting for you know $20 million work, but they're trophy hunting a $20,000 print that has a cartoon character. Right. Back to NFT's case, we're seeing this generation, a lot of the crypto collectors collecting a lot of this science fiction filling works as well as work mm -hmm. that may be minimal or just as we know from our work, there are artists who did this back in the 1980s or 90s, mm -hmm. like way earlier. But for them, again, going back to engineer reality perspective, these mm -hmm. collectors, they, 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 they're not familiar with the artists in the 80s and 90s, but they're familiar with people, the pack, who had, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and then mm -hmm liked or retweeted by the so-called influencers for which right now are becoming a powerful almost distribution channel to mm. distribute information so i think the crypto art collecting right now is very very similar to 
each generation's collector boom already. Mm -hmm. a, a generation will try to validate what they collect with their capital. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's just everything seems so crazy. Every mm -hmm. art policy seems so different, and there's not that much support. It's because we're right now at stage one of this art. Right. How do you it think something? How do you think something like White Hot Magazine or an art magazine relates to any of this? I think magazine gonna play a very crucial role because you guys are a channel, a, like a distribution channel. Even though a lot of these crypto collectors, one thing I realized about the crypto collector as well as the crypto whale is that contrary to popular belief, they're not anti-institutions. But rather, they want to they want to be a part of the institutional. In a way, they do not want to feel marginalized. So, mm -hmm. and they learn very quickly. They will look for. If we take a good observation, you see how many of these crypto collectors are very excited when people and packs work with the most traditional auction house, Christie's and Sotheby's. They're all excited sharing to everywhere that shows you right. that the concept of this decentralization may somehow not be decentralization at all it may be a way for the marginalized field to become a part of the central so mm. i think for a magazine like white hot magazine gave it another one two three months you guys will have a lot of crypto collectors coming to you, try to either pitch you their artists for brand partnership or kind of send you email saying how good a job you did in the traditional artwork and it'd be great if you can write an article for their artist. So right. I, I, I kind of call this a prediction. But because right. You think it'll happen in a, in a couple of months? In a couple of months and I think after this podcast because Right. Crypto collectors, they grew up in internet. They will Google anything they can find. If you right. Google White House Magazine, the channel, the, I, I, like we said in our private email, the, the, the work you have done truly contributes tremendously to the artwork for which you offer a channel for artists to share their ideas, to share right. their side of story. That's almost unfiltered because I personally, I went to my fair share of museum artist talks. A lot of things we cannot discuss very openly there. But here, mm -hmm. I feel safe. I feel like right. I can share a lot of things that's deeply in my mind as an artist or as a human being that I know, I believe the more the conversation, the right. more benefit it, it brings to our war people so that we're not hearing some watered down truth. Right. I agree with that. That's very, very good. Um, I wanted to go back to Beeple because you had mentioned sure. Beeple and you had mentioned crypto collectors. Um, I, do you think there's, a, there's an aspect of this where they, they're just kind of like, well, who cares what the art magazines think about it? It's, this is just, you know, X, Y, Z amount of money. So fuck you kind of attitude. Well, that attitude is playing out in, I would say, 
Okay, it goes to the mind of the populist crowd. Crowd. There's a good book uh, about that. You know, the French book. So I think on the what's that book called? What's the book called? The, the mind of the popular crowd. Who wrote it? Uh, let me. It's on the top of my mind, but I will say. That. I'm sure you could. I'm sure we could look it up. You don't have to get the exact. So. You, the, you're talking about a book related to um, analyzing the phenomenon of the popular crowd and the way it views money in relation to art? Yes. Uh, the Crowd, the Study of a Popular Mind by Gustave mm-hmm. Lebrun. That's Who? Really good Gustave? Gustave Who's Lebrun. The... Okay. Gustave Lebrun. Yeah, you can okay. search it. It's a really good book. Highly recommend. So, okay. On a surface level, we may see right now when people talk about people, a lot of it is talking about what you call ROI, the return on investment. So you have these, a lot of collectors focusing on how to, I think it's not even at a stage of flipping anymore. It's at a mm-hmm. stage of investing and seeing return almost instantaneously or in one to two weeks. So, mm-hmm. and I think on a surface level, you have this group of collectors who's focused on money. But if you if you allow me to go inside the mind of people or the currently the mega patron of people, kind of like the group that's surrounding the artist, mm-hmm. you will hear a very different story that these patrons may right now very soon adopting a traditional art approach by donating a massive amount to institutions and museums to mm-hmm. build and foster these kind of traditionally gated relationships and then bring up people as inner conversation. Right. Or, you know, in a way between us, you know, or between our audience, you know, that's how sometimes blue chip artists are built. Right. But so, what do you really actually, what do you actually think of people's work? Do you think it's good? Or do you think it's just an object that's convenient to what's happening with this market? I, uh, I listened to the panel talk you did the other day, also talk mm. about people. I think you mentioned something, yeah, the artist hates doing, you know, one work a day. For me personally, I, I don't view that part as quite impressive because you and I both know there are a lot of artists who work in studio every day without recognition or there are right. no but this is what what I'm saying no but what I'm what I'm saying is are we putting people up against Ed Ruscha are we putting people up against Barbara Kruger and Richard Prince and Caravaggio or how do how are we, how is this fitting in to the way that art history has been going my answer for this will be right now, we don't put people up to Rousset or Kruger or that level. But, but, but in the next five to 10 years, there will be a whole school of critics, art historians, the younger crowd of art critics. They will write up articles and books to solidify the movement. Because That's an way, excellent answer, I, yeah. Yeah, it's I generational. So you're saying it's more generational than we than we're thinking. Yeah, it's more generational and also it's more in in history, in the whole art history. We can find a massive load of artists 
who don't know what they're doing. But later along the way, 10, 20 years later, there'll be this art critic or gallery or this institutional director coming in to suddenly realize, holy shit, this guy's really good. Then the support, you understand this academic validation support will then build upon the artist's estate or the artist mm. is still alive. And then I think right now we're at a stage where everything happens so quickly, so raw, that people only see the monetary aspect. But if we dig into people's work, granted, some of the work are very, very inappropriate. The early day work, I don't know how to say it, and I personally made a ser series of art donation prints highlighting some of the, even, I don't know how to put it, but racist elements and sexist right. elements. Right. That was, that's terrible. And I think, right. but if we look at his newer work, a lot of this political satire, he calls himself a political cartoonist because, as you know, people himself is not trained in this fine art methodology, this mindset we we kind of have been dealing with every day. So, but a lot of work is you ask the art critic without mentioning its people to dissect the work, to dissect simply the work image or the work, just see the work as it is. The new work that focuses on the political element of things or, you know, a lot of these scientific advancement and mm. teacher of mental health. There will be art critic, that's what we call in, you know, New York art scene. There will be art critic, they'll be checking a lot of boxes. They'll say, right. okay, this check, this check, this check. This is an artist mm -hmm. that can have a market or this is an artist can have an institutional show. So well, it's interesting is, because you're, you're, you call yourself also a collector as well as an artist. You're, yeah. So you're kind of like a, coll a collector that's an artist. I'm an artist that publishes an art magazine. So it's kind of like, the, there seems like people have different roles right now, historically. Yeah, I, I think versatility, we're, uh, there's a, a great mind that recently passed away called Jimmy Youngblood, you know, the guy who pushed for the expanded cinema. And also right. he was truly quite inspirational in me venturing to NFT because I was reading his article, he called for the future of art for everything to, to advance to the next stage. We cannot just ignore this technology thing. They're gonna mm -hmm. be this, they're gonna be this conversion, almost like art and technology. And then they're gonna be this, as we can see right now, the, the ivory tower of the fine art world right now is now collapsing down. It's that it's daily chipping away with more and more regular collectors, people who from all walks of life come in to collapse. There are people talking about art everywhere. So you have these populist art movement, but right now there's still some minds that feel gated, who are not willing to share. But I think for digital art or any art to go next stage, it relies on people like us you as artists, you have a magazine, mm. you have a channel to share these ideas. I as mm -hmm. an artist and also a collector and maybe a gallerist that I can take on this Betty Parsons approach to coach mm. my own artists, to tell them what to look for. And my okay. own collecting, I build up a collection that's focusing on not just art and also books, the posters, mm. the magazines, 
that I think 50 to 60 years along the line, when I pass away, my estate is going to keep them all and then <clears throat> show them to let people know what happened today. Because I, oh, I truly I, love this history aspect. Mm -hmm. That's great. I, I I love that idea. I totally know what you're talking about. Um, I w can I ask you about the Austin Lee thing that I saw posted? Yes. The, um, the yeah. Were you involved in in buying something, or I I didn't I wasn't quite clear on what that was all about. Yeah. So Austin Lee, you know, he's an artist that's focusing on a lot of digital digital realm of things. He's work started in working in VR and stuff, and then he put it on canvas. And yeah, I have been following his work for a while, and I personally talked with Deitch about Austin Lee's work. And I think Austin Lee has a bright future. And to be honest, I acquired the first NFT made by Austin Lee purely by luck and happenstance. Because oh. I, that was on a platform called Foundation, which is one of the NFT platforms. That day, I was just done with farm duty and open up my computer. And then I see, okay, this is Austin Lee's work. This is surprising. Because normally mm. I do not expect Austin Lee, which is quite, let's just say protected by some already blue chip galleries to venture into the NFT world. So I was like, okay, I want to collect this. This has a mm. significance. I think just like Urs Fisher, the, the auction of the Fisher that's still going on. Mm -hmm. I think the the coming of Austin Lee and Gerard from Pace, these guys are, it shows the the attitude of Blue Chip right. Galleries and how they kind of right now, I would say they're preparing their resources at Arsenal to see how to legitimize. Right. And what was the reserve, what was the reserve set on that when you first saw it? The reserve I first saw, I think, is one ether, which is at $2,000. Okay. I think the final price, it went up to 10 ether, for which uh, I'm familiar with Austin's primary and secondary market. 10 mm -hmm. ether is kind of, it's, it's very proper to explain this with our addition talk, because mm -hmm. 10 ether is USD, is around 20,000 USD. Okay. Today, if you want to get an Austin Lee canvas, a unique canvas, that's around $65,000 primary. So you yeah. see this price discrepancy that on one side you have the unique physical work that's around 60K and above. On the other, the NFT unique is at 20K. So, it's kind so of what, did you end up, what did you end up buying it for? I bought it for 10 ether. That's around 20,000 US dollars. Hmm. Okay. And do you display it somehow, or do you just keep it in your collection in a certain way? Because I heard about, yeah. I heard about display consoles. Did you hear about those yeah. sort of? I hear about those. I was looking into those, but the display consoles so far right now, to be honest, I do not see many that, how to say that, give me the wow factor that's suitable for fine art setting. Because right now I you see. have those. And that's the necklace or wallet that may be for a younger crowd. But for me, right. I kind of want to enjoy art at my home setting or at my studio setting. So, so far, I'm just showcasing the work on my artist website that I have a section mm -hmm. called my own collection. That's 
I think it suffice to show the artist I support. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk to you further privately about a collaboration and some other things to plan out with you. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you taking, taking the time to talk, um, at least with your voice disguised somewhat publicly. Okay. And um, uh, I hope we can follow up on this. Great. I'll be honored. And, and stay, stay in touch over the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking forward to publishing this uh, discussion. And we'll talk to you shortly. Okay, have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Bye. Follow White Hot Magazine on the web. It's www.whitehotmagazine.com. You can follow White Hot Magazine on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow Noah Becker on Instagram. Have a wonderful afternoon. See you around the art world.